Welcome to the Rainmaker Fundraising Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Olson. This podcast is produced to give fundraisers and nonprofit leaders like you the tools to increase mission impact. Tune in weekly so you don't miss a thing. Your mission is critical. Your resources are finite. You need a partner that can deliver customized, scalable, and relevant donor communications that increase response and maximize net long-term revenue for your cause. You need Altus Marketing. Check us out at altusmktg.com or email me directly at a-o-l-s-e-n at a-l-t-u-s-m-k-t-g.com to learn how we can elevate your fundraising results. And now here's today's episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show today. This is Andrew Olson. I'm here with my good friend, Jeff Nickel from Moore. Hey, Jeff, welcome. Thank you, Andrew. Great to be here. And Jeff is here as a uh, guest co-host with me today because we are launching a series of podcast conversations focused around healthcare philanthropy. This is our first one. And I'm also really grateful to welcome Jenny Solderholm, who is the Senior Vice President and Chief Development Officer at Children's Minnesota and the President of Children's Minnesota Foundation. Jenny, welcome. Hello, thank you. So great to be here. It's great to have you here. Now, um, just by way of, of quick background uh, for our listeners, you um, you've been in the healthcare space for for about twenty nine years, maybe a little longer than that. Even uh, mm-hmm. if I remember this correctly, you've uh, served not only at Children's Minnesota but also at Children's HeartLink, Uni- University of Minnesota uh, Medical School, and M Health Fairview. Uh, University of uh, Minnesota Medical Center and Masonic Children's Hospital. That's a mouthful. (laughs) It is a mouthful. And yes, that's all correct. I've had quite a wonderful career here in the Twin Cities. And uh, for for our listeners, again, the other thing that's um, of distinction here is that in 2019, uh, Jenny was the Association of Fundraising Professionals Outstanding Professional Fundraiser of the Year in Minnesota. Uh, That's not an easy feat. uh, And Minnesota has a really competitive philanthropy landscape. So congratulations on that, Jenny. Thank you so much. It it was quite an honor. Thank you. You know, we we are really looking forward to this conversation and really going deep with you on um, the healthcare philanthropy landscape. The the first thing I'd I'd love to get your take on is what Children's Minnesota does differently to ensure, you know, a broad and deeply held culture of philanthropy uh, exists across your organization. Can you talk about that with us? That's a great question. And I would begin by answering, I have a phenomenal uh, leader in Dr. Mark Gorlick, our president and CEO of the health system. When Mark hired me, he Uh, positioned this role to be at his senior vice president table with the other uh, executive leaders. And in my role, not only am I leading the foundation, I'm also in all of the conversations and planning for the health system as a whole. And so he embedded this work in this role alongside all leaders and all work for the good of kids and the care we provide. We very much work as a team in aligning the foundation's goals, the foundation's focus with those of the health system. And that's just tremendous. And we build that trust there to be great partners. We then take that work and we make sure that we are both leading by example and leading through through our words, through our encouragement with all levels of leadership across the health system. And that's what is exciting Mm. when you're able to have conversations, when you're able to educate about philanthropy and you're able to help everyone see the role that they play in this important work. 
because when gifts are received to the foundation, those gifts come because of all the people at Children's who have touched families, who've touched community members, corporations, foundations. And that is when you truly start to build that momentum of success and impact for kids. And so I just want to stress with you, Andrew and Jeff, that um, a foundation needs to have a strong team. It needs to have people who love this work. They have fire in the belly. Um, They work hard day in and day out. They also, um, you need to have team members across the health system who want to be a part of philanthropy and who want to walk with you. Um, People who understand their role and then respect the foundation's role, the gift officer's role. And I believe that over the last two and a half years, especially since I've had the good fortune to be here, that we have been able to build this cultural culture internally and mm-hmm. then working to carry that out into the community. So, so that's fascinating. I, a couple of things that strike me here. Um, the fact that you have a seat at the executive table alongside like the chief medical officer, right? That, that is not exactly. always common. Um, and right. Jeff and I, you know, visit with nonprofit leaders all the time, uh, development leaders who say, if only I had access to those conversations. So I think that right. that really helps advance philanthropy in a way that, you know, no extra effort can do. Um, so kudos to the organization for making that decision. You touched on the idea of um, others across the organization mm-hmm. understanding the impact they make. And one of my other questions was was going to be about, you know, how, how have you integrated physicians and other care staff uh, into the philanthropic process? What challenges did you experience in that? And, and what have you what have you seen successful? Oh, that is such a great uh, question, Andrew. And I want to come at it in a couple of different ways. I first, I want to lift up uh, our vice president of philanthropy and her team because they really go out um, day in and day out to the departments, to the clinical leaders and the administrative leaders, and they hold meetings, they have conversations, they work with those leaders to determine what are the, um, the opportunities for investment by our philanthropic community? What are the needs? What will be compelling and speak to those families, those corporate donors, and what will truly make a difference? And all of those conversations, those um, giving opportunities, uh, case statements, they are um, absolutely read and endorsed and signed off by leadership all the way to the top. So again, we're working seamlessly. And by those team members having those conversations and involving our physicians, our, um, our nursing staff and administrators in not only kind of designing what is the story that we're telling, but also involved in strengthening the relationships with the donors in the cultivation and in the stewardship of these donors, those colleagues who don't live development each and every day, that that's not their first job, they start to understand the beauty of fundraising and they trust it. And that helps them to kind of let down their guards. And for those individuals to know, we are always going to be donor-centered We are going to treat donors with dignity and respect that we as a foundation are there as a bridge to help bring the incredible people who are doing that work, that care 
together with those individuals out in the community who just want to make a difference. They want to make it better for families that follow them into that hospital setting, into those healthcare needs. And so that's a profound way that we try to live every day or strive to live in just making, helping people to see that this isn't magic. Fundraising isn't magic. Fundraising is a noble profession that honors the donors and really just makes that 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 link, that bridge, so that everyone can be a part of um, caring for kids. And then I also want to share with you on the other side of our foundation uh, fundraising house. So with our VP of foundation operations, that individual oversees the direct marketing, our donor relations, our events, and also our strategic information management. And in the work that they do, they also involve um, administrative leaders and clinical leaders in signing um, solicitations or in telling a story for our electronic newsletter. And we also give the community opportunities to write electronic thank you notes back to their care team. And, and then I send those out um, to those who receive them electronically. And we're just trying to show, demonstrate really to our colleagues all the ways that you can be touched by the philanthropic community and all the ways that they can touch the philanthropic community above and beyond the care that they provide to kids and the families. Jenny, that's that's excellent. I, uh, in, in your response, uh, you just mentioned the breadth of your department and how they're working in various channels. One of the things that we're seeing that speaks along the same lines is that uh, there seems to be a, a much more aggressive push recently, at least that we're seeing, um, with institutions who are beginning to seek more what we might call asset-based gifts from donors uh, versus, say, simply a checkbook gift or credit card donation. And we're seeing this particularly related to donor advice funds and even cryptocurrency gifts as of uh, recent. Yes. So what are you seeing at, at Children's Minnesota and even perhaps with your peer organizations in the area? Jeff, I would say that for long-term health of any nonprofit, you need to have strength in your direct marketing and you need to be able to maintain that you want to have some number of events, a means for the community to gather, to have a shared experience, to celebrate. And you want to have strong individual giving. You want to have that major and principal as well as plan giving focus. And I don't want to forget about corporate support. You want to also have strong relationships with the corporate community. Now, that's easier said than done. All those areas need thoughtful investment. And we know, we know by history, we know from the data that the middle class is shrinking mm. and that there are, mm. um, there are more uh, uh, assets by a smaller percentage of people, a smaller population that is discretionary. And so recognizing that it is important for all organizations to 
put resources into developing that culture that is donor-centered, having the right number of staff for your constituency base that can be out, talking with people one-on-one, building trust, building relationship with families, and being very donor-centered in how they're involved with your institution. So that does take considerable resources. I want to say that you still wanna make sure that you are giving anyone who wants the opportunity to make a gift, to partner with you, an opportunity to do that. And the easiest way to do that is through direct marketing, Mm -hmm. um, through supporting community or third-party events. Again, every gift matters, and it's the collective amount, all the gifts coming together each year that really has the profound impact on the mission. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, for those donors who have those discretionary dollars, and they want to be smart about their giving, they're they're very sophisticated, and they need to be mindful of of their estate. They need to be mindful of um, kind of the, the ripple impact to themselves or their families when they do make a philanthropic commitment. We do encourage them to work with their professionals, their financial advisors, their um, their um, lawyers. That isn't for us to give that advice. What is important for us and what we better do well is in telling our story of Children's Minnesota, of making sure that we are putting forward ideas that really excite them, um, that we are being visionary, that we're pushing ourselves to be the best every single day. And if we do that well, and we are doing that with our health system leadership side by side with us, then those donors um, who do have that ability to really further the science, further the clinical care, or invest in capital needs that will mean we can serve patients even better, they will naturally do that. And um, and, and we're grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, you know, part of it, Jeff, it's, it's the sign of the times. It's the sophistication of, um, of investing and mm-hmm. of um, creating, whether it's uh, donor-advised funds or family foundations. And bravo to families that are thinking that way. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. Does it mean we have, in a sense, even more competition? It does. I am one that sees competition as good. It keeps us sharp. And it keeps us ever working to tell our story better mm-hmm. and to be that much more donor-centered than perhaps we even were yesterday. And that's not a bad thing. <laughs> no. In fact, Jenny, you, you really, you, you've now uh, stepped into an, in an area that Andrew had mentioned, which is in, in the Twin Cities area, there are so many fine medical institutions and uh, many of whom you've worked with in your past as, as we started. Um, so what do you do as a team to keep, to keep your institution in front of your donors, your grateful families? Um, is there anything that you've pursued recently or that you're doing in order to, to make your own brand and your service, uh, your health service um, uppermost when your families are thinking about wanting to give a donation? 
Yes. What is so important to know about Children's Minnesota is that we are a um, we are a um, we are an independent pediatric only health system mm. here in Minnesota. So we are the only health system that focuses solely on kids from um, fetal. So we have a Midwest fetal care center all the way to young adulthood. And you're right. I have served many missions here in the Twin Cities and I have tremendous respect for all of them. In fact, my family's been helped by all of them. What I know about Children's Minnesota is that we care for close to 60% of kids here in this region or this, this um, our state, I should say. Although we do pull from the states um, around uh, surrounding Minnesota. And we focus on that tertiary and quaternary care. We are also known for our wraparound services that when children are seeking care within our halls and walls, we not only care for that child, we also care for the entire family because all of them are on this journey um, to um, optimal health for the child. And um, when you are caring for about 60% of the market, I must share with you, Andrew and Jeff, it's rare when someone hasn't been touched by Children's Minnesota, whether it's someone directly in their family or their neighbor, you know, kids at their church or the school, people will go, oh my gosh, yes, you work at Children's Minnesota well, and then they, they go right into their story. And so um, for us, it's really about celebrating who we are. It's about lifting up what our strengths are, um, in a sense, not being humble, saying we really make a difference here. We provide a service, a level of care that is truly extraordinary. And what I've come to appreciate is that when you are one of what now I believe is probably 33 um, independent pediatric health systems in the nation, and there used to be over 100. So now we're in our low, the low 30s. And we are the seventh largest. I want to do my part, gentlemen, to make sure that we never lose that in Minnesota and in our region. That we always have that focus on pediatric health care and on wrapping around the family and helping them on that journey. And that's what makes us unique. And as we involve families, as we show them even more detail about what children's is, because so often families know one aspect of our care. They're maybe with us for um, a cancer and blood disorder, or they're maybe with us for their child who had um, a congenital heart defect. As they start to see all the areas, the neurosciences, mental health, they're just, they're, they're inspired and they want to lean in. They want to be a part of continuing this incredible care, which is now, gentlemen, 100 years old. Wow. So I, I, I hope I'm conveying um, just there's so much to tell here, so much to be proud of, and so much yet to do. And the leaders here and the colleagues across our health system, 
they want to do it. And, you know, it's interesting. I'm just going to jump. Jeff, Jeff had said, you know, are you doing anything unique? And I want to share that recently um, we have added to um, kind of a, a little tagline, the kid experts, mm-hmm. um, which is trademarked. And it was a simple way of clarifying or, or um, more clearly establishing ourselves, our place in this community. When again, you're solely focusing on kids, when every decision you make is about kids and families, when you do have to prioritize everybody in healthcare mm-hmm. has to prioritize, but every one of your priorities is about kids, then you truly are, you're the kid experts. You are making decisions for kids on how best to care for them, how best to advocate for them, how best to represent them and be that voice for kids. That is what Children's Minnesota is. That is, um, that's wonderful clarity, Jenny. I mean, that's the, the, the strength to me of a brand is that you can distill it to something that specific, that clear. So kudos to you and your marketing team for embracing such a solid and powerful concept. I'm sure that is going to go a long ways in speaking to not only the community uh, who need the care, but also to your donors. And uh, that that's exciting. In fact, a follow-up um, question that I have is, is uh, may, maybe twofold, so I'll, I'll give you both pieces. The, the first part is, one of the things that we're increasingly seeing is that um, good, solid development teams are beginning to think in terms of, of what the experience is for a donor uh, once they've been approached for their first gift, and then helping develop a, a journey, as it were, for the donor um, to providing some type of ultimate gift. Um, so I'm interested on, on whether you all have embraced something of that type. And then the second piece is that uh, it's really attached to that. Uh, more and more, we're beginning to see, um, and, and we're engaged in this ourselves, uh, the use of artificial intelligence and machine learning with regards to developing very, very sophisticated data-focused models to help us know who the donor is and serve them better. And those two can be combined. Um, So I want to pass this back to you in terms of addressing the concept of donor journeys and whether you're using uh, sophisticated data uh, type of processes to build models that bring your donor into focus. All right, Jeff, I don't even know where to begin. I (laughs) I so appreciate that you asked this question. Okay, I'm I'm gonna begin with the second part first. Okay around um, artificial intelligence and and data analytics, I will share with you that we we actually invested that first year of COVID when it was just, um, you know, all of us were thrown for a loop and it it absolutely turned fundraising on its head because you couldn't do the in-person events and you, um, you couldn't be in the same room with your donors. Everything was by phone, everything was virtual quite a shift. We took that time to do a thorough assessment of our operations and um, to really make some key investments and strengthen that area. It was a solid program 
and we knew it could become even stronger mm-hmm. if we invested in specific programs and worked with specific vendors. Because we all know you absolutely need strong gift officers with fire in the belly who love to be with donors and love to solicit and close gifts. They can only do their job so well if that back office is equally strong Mm -hmm. and you have really good data, really good reports to work with. Mm -hmm. So yes, artificial intelligence and moving towards Um, data analytics and really embedding that in all your strategy and all your activities is critical. And what I can tell you, because this is not my area of expertise, is that um, with a great leader, and we have one, we are making sure first that our gift officers have data more readily for them, um, whether it be at their, you know, on their laptop or on their phone, but really making them in real time be able to access information to keep them focused Mm -hmm. in the right way on the right things for the greatest uh, return on the investment of of them and their work. Mm -hmm. We also are, um, we are creating far more sophisticated reporting uh, Mm -hmm. tools overall, which is very exciting. And instead of using data to look kind of backwards at okay, what happened? And, you know, how do we do things different going forward? It's more proactively looking at the data to kind of course correct and make sure whether we're doing a type of mailing and wanting to be um, more strategic in who that mailing is going to, or whether it is in how and who we're talking to about planned giving. It's it's just being, um, it's being more, I would say more proactive and more aggressive in using data and and seeing data as an asset and the first thought, not an afterthought. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I hope that touches enough on, on the AI. Um, again, for someone who that is not my strength, that is not where I lean in, I do have tremendous respect for my colleagues where that is their strength. And I make sure that that area gets equal attention, um, appropriate investment for the good of the foundation overall. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, where we talk about donors and how do we both cultivate and steward them and really deepen that engagement, I would say first what matters is asking. It's so interesting. Um, you, You better not make any assumptions. Because there are donors who want to really be almost on the front line if they can from time to time. They want to see what the experience is for the clinician or for um, the nurse in a certain role, or they want to see how a lab, you know, runs. We also have donors who say, no, don't give me that much attention. I trust you. Um, I know you're using our, our philanthropy wisely. I would like a report from time to time, but I don't want you doing so much for me that you're not um, focused on new donors, other donors. So mm-hmm. I, I just want to stress that um, for us who are on the front line to not make any assumptions and again, to go back to being very donor centered. Mm-hmm. Something that children's did 
right before COVID hit. And so we had to put it on hold for a while, but it's definitely in our plans once we are, you know, we're at a place where we can have people come into the hospital and um, be with us in an uh, easier fashion and in a larger, to a larger degree. And that is that we would have a day that um, select donors were invited to come in and really experience and shadow clinical leaders, administrative leaders. Um, We had, you know, kind of that work that happens behind the scenes, whether it be in a lab or, um, or the pharmacy. And that was a profound experience for the donors. It gave them a greater appreciation for the complexity of a health system and for everything that goes on that most people never see. And so um, we know from that um, activity that even larger gifts were received, Mm. that not from everyone who participated, but definitely there were several that because of that experience, they wanted to know more. They wanted to have an even bigger vision to contemplate for impact. And those gifts were secured, you know, after a reasonable amount of time. Nice. For others, it was um, important stewardship. And that um, was an important step in just really honoring the donors and um, and celebrating their impact uh, with Children's Minnesota. So again, that is something that we want to bring back once mm-hmm. we're able to. I also want to say it was it was very labor intensive. It <laughs> takes a considerable amount of time of one person to coordinate all of that. Yes. And so as we are always looking at how do we achieve the greatest return on investment for our health system, we have to kind of keep that in mind. And we're looking at now, how do we do it? How do we repeat that and do it in a way that, um, you know, learn from the lessons of the first time, be even smarter in how we execute it. But we know it's something that we will need to be able to offer to certain donors who seek that type of opportunity. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, I also, I don't want to forget about those who support children through events or those who support us through direct marketing um, and third-party events. It matters what you have on your website. It Mm -hmm. matters how you tell the story. It matters where and when and how often you lift up your donors. We have Thank You Thursdays where we have posts that that lift up different donors every Thursday. Um, And it can be a corporate donor. It can be an individual donor, an organization, a family foundation. We make sure to be consistent in that. We make sure that we're saying thank you every way that you can. Um, As you two both know, you can never thank people enough. Right. And so again, it's being very creative, very strategic, and very mm-hmm. intentional at remembering to thank everyone, no matter what size gift they give. So I want to pause us right there because I think that's um, critical. But I also know, and you you may be hearing this even in the Twin Cities, there is this, uh, this growing narrative that we need to deprioritize the donor. And uh, even to the to the level of, I've heard many people in the industry uh, starting to say we should no longer use the phrase donor-centered fundraising. And and as someone who has cultivated uh, donor relationships before, um, you know, you, 
you actually all three of us have solicited gifts uh, from from uh, individual donors before. It kind of makes me want to jump out of my skin when I hear those statements. Uh, Jenny, as as a successful frontline fundraiser, um, my question to you is: Have you started to hear that uh, pushback in the community? And and if if so, or or even if you haven't, um, talk a little bit about how to bridge the gap between those who think that you know donors should be less important, but also understanding that being wise stewards and, and cultivating those relationships is critical for philanthropy. All right. Andrew, I had not heard that. And I, I will be ready now. <laughs> <laughs> when I do, I trust you that it's out there, that it's that that is being suggested and discussed. And I would come at it in this manner. Number one, what excites me when I come to work every day is not actually the donor is not my boss, is not myself, looking at myself in the mirror. It's the kids that I know are here. Mm -hmm. And it's the parents that I see walking the hall with their child, trying to keep them busy as they are in our hospital week after week, month after month. And that is my motivation. What am I doing today that serves the kids in our hospital and serves the families? And I think when all of us keep our mission, whatever we have the good fortune to represent front and center, that is most important. That's our North Star. Now, I know for Children's Minnesota and for many nonprofits, we couldn't exist if we didn't have the partnership of the community. We simply couldn't. Uh, nearly 50% of our patients rely on Medicaid which reimburses 70 cents on the dollar for that service. So the difference there is made up by the health system and by our donors. And I am so grateful. Same with our wraparound services, you know, music therapy, child life. Um, I could go on and on. Those services never, never show up on a bill. We couldn't provide sure. that support to families if our community didn't care, if donors didn't care. Being a donor is noble. Uh, being a fundraiser is normal, noble. <laughs> so, gentlemen, with donors and keeping them front and center, what we're saying is you are part of this story mm -hmm. and we respect you, we value you. Mm -hmm. Now, what we know is that the donor can't can't dictate how the system is run, then, you know, they, they, they can't, they have to be careful in, in their expectations with their giving, because then if they're not careful, it's no longer a gift. <laughs> and this is where the role of the gift officer is so important. My role is president as well. When we're the bridge between the health system and the running of the health system, the, the management and the donor, we have to treat both sides with the respect that they are due. And we need to make sure 
that we're not ever putting the health system in an uncomfortable position or with an expectation to do something that it can't do and vice versa. We can't ever put that donor in an uncomfortable position or have an expectation for them that isn't fair. And what does that mean? That means transparency. That means sometimes we have hard conversations, but if we're all coming together at the table around how do we better serve kids and the families, then we have that commonality that will see us through. And if there's going to be times, and there will be, that we can't come to a mutually beneficial um, you know, resolution for both sides, we have to, re- with respect and dignity, say, this is not a partnership that we're supposed to have. There may be another organization for you where you can accomplish what your, your heart and head is wanting to accomplish. You bless and release them. Mm. You, you might even suggest a couple other organizations that they look to, that they engage with, because that's the right thing to do. And, and also when you, for, the, for your, your, counter, your colleagues, your administrative leaders, your president, it's, it's making sure that you give them the opportunity to stand by what their vision is and the priorities they've made. And you don't expect them to waver from that because that's not fair to the health system that you're representing. So I hope that makes sense, gentlemen, of how um, how we have to walk our path as professionals. And we have to look for those situations where everyone can feel good. And if that's not possible, then with grace, let us go our separate ways. Oh, I, think, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, thank, thank you, you, Andrew, because other donors will come along. Other donors will be there for Children's Minnesota or whatever mission you are representing. Well, and so what you just said there, that other donors will come along um, to, to serve uh, and, and to support your mission. You know, that also strikes me because that, you know, it's, it's different from a lot of organizations that say, if we don't take this donor's money, there's no chance that we're going to survive till next payroll period. Or there's, you know, we, we might not be able to do X versus coming at it with that abundance mindset of saying, this is an important donor. They're, you know, they have dignity and, and value as an individual and, and, and as a supporter, but they're not the only one. Right. right. Yeah. Right. I think that's, that makes a lot of sense. Right. And that, that, that sense of scarcity, that fear of scarcity, in my humble opinion, it's, it's energy that just is not healthy for you as a gift officer, for you as a leader, um, or for, for even our profession. Um, I'm, I am a competitive person by nature. And um, believe me, I have had those moments of, oh my gosh, you know, if we don't get this gift, then what? I also know that when you try to be something or you try to make a fit that really isn't um, the best course for either the donor or the organization, the amount of work you create, the amount of consternation or other, um, you know, the ripple effect, that is equally not as good as that fear of, are we going to be able to make payroll? Mm-hmm. And, um, and again, I know those moments are really hard. 
um, hopefully for any organization, um, you can be strong enough that when you are talking to the donors, you're able to convey that you're coming from a place of strength, that you're coming from a place of expertise, because we also know that donors don't want to help a sinking ship. They don't. Mm -hmm. They don't want to think that their gift is what's keeping you from making the payroll or not. And um, so that is what I hope for us as an industry, for us as a profession, we can um, really focus on our strengths, focus on what we as an organization, as a mission can do and can do well, and then look for those people who understand our mission what makes us unique and that they want to um, support what is part of our vision and not try to be something that we aren't right now or for any organization to try to be something they, they aren't for any donor. Love that. So Jenny, we're about out of time, but I have one last question for you. I don't want to leave without touching on uh, the, the talent market right now. And it seems like Every week, there's a new article or, or announcement of you know, just how difficult it is to retain talent, um, not just in the nonprofit sector, but we're seeing it pretty broadly in healthcare and, and, and other sectors as well. What are you all doing to, to get ahead of that and to make sure that you've got a robust talent pipeline and that you're also retaining the, the best people that you have? All right, Andrew. Oh, If there is something that keeps me, or one of the things that keeps me awake at night, it is talent acquisition and um, and also building pipeline. This is the, okay, let's see, how do I want to begin this? I want to start with our current team because I think your best opportunity for recruiting new talent is through your current team. And you're only going to recruit through your current team, all roles, uh, you know, on your team. If that team feels valued, if they feel heard, if they feel and experience agency in their role, if they know that they are a part of um, creating and sustaining a healthy, dynamic culture. And it is something that I think about that I work on with the two, uh, my two VPs, but also our team as a whole. Now, right now we have 2021 um, team members and we hope by the end of this year to be at 28, that's our goal. Will not be easy in the current market. Um, but again, it's making sure that your team wants to post these positions on social media, that they're reaching out to their colleagues, that they are talking about what it is to serve Children's Minnesota and be on the foundation. That is a key um, aspect of where you start. Your current employees coupled with a really strong talent acquisition team is also critical. And we do have that at Children's Minnesota. There are many roles across the health system that they are working to fill. Um, but they are also just a, a very appreciated, respected uh, colleague for us in uh, filling these positions. And I do want to say this. I want to acknowledge when you represent a children's hospital, that is helpful. 
it's a remarkable mission. It's very special to be able to tell this story day in and day out. And that also is helpful. But having said that, we still have our challenges, gentlemen. Believe you me, we do. And um, I just, I, with that, what I want to do is do everything I can to retain the great team members I have. And then I want to still be very discerning in who we hire. Even though this is a hard time to recruit and to fill positions, I want to make sure that we are bringing um, the best talent and the, um, the, the, the right energy, the right focus of individuals onto the team to just further enhance what we already have. And sometimes desperate, desperate times can cause people to just kind of take whoever they, they want. I want to make sure that I'm honoring what we've built together as a team so far, and then just strengthen that team with new members. Mm. I love that. Jenny, thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate um, all the, the the guidance that you shared with us and the insights about uh, your program in Children's Minnesota. Um, one last thing, what do you say to the fundraiser who's sitting at their desk going, I just don't know that I can do this another day. This is really hard. How do I get through this? What's an insight or word of encouragement that you might share with your peers? Oh, I would say this. Get up from your desk. If you can, if you are currently um, within your organization and, um, and go to wherever you can to, in that moment, witness your mission in action. Witness your mission in action. And if you can't do it in, in, in real time and in person, then please go to your website. Go back into your files. Go into your database and look for a couple stories of either, um, you know, individuals who've been impacted by your mission or donors who have thanked you or your foundation, your development um, department for connecting them and helping them to fulfill their dream, their desire to impact the mission. Bring it back to that. And that's going to fill your heart. That's going to inspire you. You're going to get goosebumps and you're going to, that fire is going to light up again for you to go in and tackle that really tough task on your desk or pick up that phone to contact a donor. That is a fantastic place to leave it. Thank you very much. How do people connect with Children's Minnesota? They can um, look us up on the internet, childrensmn.org, and you will see a remarkable independent pediatric healthcare system here uh, in Minnesota. And I want to say, Andrew and Jeff, what a thrill and honor to spend this time with the two of you to talk about these really important uh, questions around our profession and to have this opportunity to share my thoughts. I really appreciate this time. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate you being here. Absolutely. Take care. Have you read my Amazon number one best-selling book, 101 Biggest Mistakes Nonprofits Make and How You Can Avoid Them Yet? It's the book that I wrote with expertise from over 20 nonprofit leaders and their 300 years of combined experience. You can download it for free today. Just visit andrewolson.net and go to the free resources tab on my site.